We are back on your evening roundup show on Connect FM 91.5 with me, Yasmin Gandam. And right now we're speaking with Ninu Kang. Ninu is the Associate Executive Director of an organization called Ending Violence BC. They coordinate and support the work of victim serving and other anti-violence programs. So here to tell us more about the program and how COVID-19 is also influencing domestic violence is Ninu King. Hi, Ninu. It's Yasmin from Connect. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Yasmin? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Well, first off, uh, for our listeners who might not know, can you tell us a little bit about Ending Violence BC and its mission? Absolutely. So Ending Violence Association of uh, British Columbia, it's an umbrella organization which has members from across our province. So we train and support more than 300 anti-violence programs, um, as well as we bring together people from different sectors and to provide best practices and provide a supportive response to sexual, domestic violence, child abuse, and criminal harassment um, clients. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and prior to this, I know you were at Mosaic for nearly 30 years, and just a couple months ago, you transitioned um, over to Ending Violence BC. What made you uh, decide to do that? Uh, well, um, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed my work at Mosaic where, where there was a real focus on working with immigrants and refugees. But the area that I focused uh, in on when I was there uh, was the anti-violence and was looking at violence against immigrant women, refugee mm-hmm. women. And so I have had the opportunity to work alongside uh, Eva BC for many years, and so we were worked on many projects in collaboration with each other, uh, many, many initiatives that uh, looked at um, domestic or sexualized violence. Uh, But when I was at Mosaic, I was more focused on looking at how um, that was uh, playing out uh, in immigrant communities. Um, So it it just seemed like a real natural fit for me that I would uh, do a little bit more focused work um, in a leadership role at uh, this provincial association. Absolutely. And I noticed that the terms often that uh, Ending Violence BC uses to refer to this violence is not really domestic violence, which is what we commonly hear, but gender violence. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the difference there and why that's used? Absolutely. I mean, when we look at gender-based violence, um, you know, it's important for us to recognize that historically and currently, um, you know, across all races, culture, class, income, geographical area, um, even in sexual sexual orientation um, uh, relationships, uh, what we know is that there is the dynamic of uh, women being experiencing more violence um, and often at the hands of men mm-hmm. and and more um, you know um, uh, brutal uh, types of acts against women so right. that 's not to say that men don 't also experience um, domestic or sexualized violence, but we know. Uh, statistically, um, that women experience more violence. So there is a gender-based component to this. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other piece that I also want to bring up 
is that there's been a lot of focus on domestic violence, meaning intimate partner violence, uh, which is uh, in a relationship, husband-wife relationship, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, partner-to-partner relationships. But it's also really important is that sexualized violence in our society is also really pervasive. Um, And so it receives less attention. Uh, In our province in BC, for example, um, you know, we have many programs across the province. Like I said, we're a, we're a member organization serving uh, over 300 anti-violence programs, um, but we still need to do more with regards to getting uh, sexual uh, violence support services on the ground in our province and having a really coordinated effort to uh, uh, respond to sexualized violence. Right. And you mentioned that what we need in our province and recently we just elected a new government. Um, And so I want to ask you, what should the government be doing to really make this a priority? I know there's a grant program that you are overseeing um, for emergency sexual assault response services. But what should the government be doing to ensure that there's enough resources and services available? Mm hmm. Well, first of all, I mean, I just want to congratulate um, everyone uh, who put their hat in uh, to to run for the election. I think it's a lot of effort and energy and Mm -hmm. and lots of uh, work that goes into that. So anyway, I just want to congratulate everybody who who um, ran and and congratulate those who won their uh, seats. Um, and, and again, you know, we have had a very uh, good relationship with the government, uh, provincial and national. And so one of the things is that we want to leverage that relationship. Um, we uh, also at our organization are very fortunate that we get a lot of intel from our members uh, who are on the ground providing frontline services. And, and um, you know, what we're hearing in the communities, we're able to communicate that uh, to government, to, to influence government policy and, and supports in the community where they're needed. And so we're going to continue that work. We will continue to, to, to work with uh, the newly elected um, uh, officials and, um, and, and provide that. Uh, in, in, uh, wh- where it comes to the sexualized violence response services, um, we do feel that um, it's great that the government has um, allocated some funds to provide on-the-ground sexualized uh, sexual violence response support services, um, but we know that the demand uh, is a lot greater than the resources that have been allocated. And so we are in the middle of um, uh, getting funds out into the community as we speak right now. And uh, as an organization, we're going to learn a lot about um, uh, the community needs as we put these services in place. And so we will do our role and um, continue to work with our government partners and, um, you know, identify the needs that we're seeing. And uh, we are also working with other partners in the community um, to put some uh, more intel and positions uh, about the the need for sexualized uh, violence response services. Mm-hmm. 
and so you know these are these are things that are part of our mandate as a as a provincial organization and we work with other provincial organizations uh as well to to ensure that our you know that our efforts are our joint efforts are um um you know doing well together Recently in Surrey, there was an incident where a woman died after a stabbing, and this happened uh, right here in Newton, actually, and it was deemed family violence uh, by the by the police. So this shocked a lot of people. But what are your thoughts? Because actually, f- uh, family violence is quite common, and we see statistics that reflect that. But what would you say to that to people who are shocked by this incident? Yeah, I mean the word family violence is a is an interesting word that we have lived with um in terms of uh defining um what um these types of violence falls under and and how we talk about it when we talk about statistics or or, or when we're uh, in the justice system and how various systems identify this type of violence. Um, but, um, you know, from our perspective, it's really important to name the violence. So it's not family violence. It's not that there's a family and everybody is fighting with everybody and mm-hmm. hence it leads to some kind of an incident and somebody gets killed. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, that's why we talk about it as gender-based violence, uh, because uh, it's based on... Um, the person that is causing the harm, uh, and often that, uh, that, you know, those are men in intimate partner relationships, and um, that those relationships are based on power and control within inside that relationship. So the person that falls victim to these types of crime often is isolated in the home. Uh, many, many tactic, tactics are used by by the perpetrator or the person who has caused the harm to keep that person isolated from their friends, family, uh, uh, financial control, um, sexual violence, uh, physical, emotional violence. All of these tactics are used um, to, to continue to perpetrate violence on that partner. And so that's why it's gender-based violence uh, with inside intimate partner violence. So we don't want to just call it family violence because it doesn't really define the type of violence that is. And so while this case in Surrey, you know, we're still learning little bits and pieces, and it's difficult for me to comment on this particular case, but what we do know is that incidences like this where women have been uh, killed in the past at hands of their intimate partner. Uh, we also know that children are impacted. We know that other members of the victim are sometimes impacted. Um, uh, sometimes there's homicide. The victim is killed. Sometimes the children are killed or individuals related to the victim are killed. And sometimes the, the um, perpetrator takes their own life. And so it's a homicide, suicide. So from those previous, um, you know, incidences, we've learned a lot. Um, and so one of the things that we have learned is that um, this type of violence, the domestic and sexualized violence, is preventable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that from, like I said, previous cases. And so it's really, really important uh, for friends and for family, uh, neighbors, um, to to reach out 
and speak out and and help that individual break the code of silence that exists. And like I said, it cuts across all cultures. So though we're talking about a South Asian um, uh, incident here in the South Asian community, but really cuts across all uh, race, culture, class, income, geographical area, and so on. Right, and I, I, that was actually my next question. I was going to ask you: Is this preventable? Because um, uh, you know there are resources that, of course, due to COVID nineteen, um, maybe aren't available to women in the same way that they would be, and so that isolation uh, can be even more difficult. And and that's what I want to ask you: Is with COVID nineteen now and this pandemic, we're seeing these statistics where domestic violence calls are on the on the rise. Um, can you tell? me about how COVID-19 has kind of influenced this problem. Yeah, so, you know, just recently some statistics came out from the Vancouver Police Department and they just revealed that um, the the cases of, of uh, domestic violence has increased by 5% since um, COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, now, we know that this is a really under, underrepresented figure. So these are actually... Uh, uh, individuals that call the police to get help. Uh, but we also know there's a lot of individuals, women, in their homes who are not using the police, where they don't see police as a viable option for them to um, address their issue. And so we know that during COVID, um, women are you know, staying inside the home. Sometimes um, women and men have lost their jobs. Uh, We know that when a man loses his job, um, this is a risk factor to violence increasing in that home. Um, And so during COVID, you can see that's even exacerbated even more because if both people are at home, um, there isn't an outlet for, for someone that's being abused, they can't go and talk to a work, uh, someone, a coworker. They can't go out and make a call to their family or friends because they're being watched all the time. And so you can see how the isolation and the kind of being captive in that closed space um, would, would just intensify the, the level of violence and the, and the, that that can lead to. Yes, absolutely. The isolation can be very problematic. And I want to also ask you about the stigma, because when we're talking about the South Asian community, there is a lot of stigma when it comes to leaving a relationship, especially when it becomes a marriage. Um, And that prevents a lot of women from leaving toxic situations uh, where they are being abused, whether that's emotionally or physically by their partner. Uh, How can we kind of try to work towards decreasing that stigma and making it more of a safe space for women to discuss what they are facing? Well, I think what's encouraging is that we, um, I mean, I'm a South Asian woman myself, um, and so I have experienced uh, being in the community and and living in the community, so I understand um, the pressures that are on women to stay in the home and Mm -hmm. hold the marriage up, and especially if they're living in extended families, um, you know, the dynamic of, of taking care of the family, and particularly now during covid it's the women that are stepping in, you know, to take the in-laws to the doctor or um, the children, and, you know, provide uh, schooling for the 
children at home. So you can see how that's really increased. Uh, but in terms of the stigma, like I said, I'm encouraged that, um, you know, women who are leaving their relationships, um, that uh, even family and friends uh, are supporting them once they've m- made up their mind. And, of course, there are many that the stigma still is there. So uh, focusing on uh, the fact that, you know, how has the, 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 the mindset of many individuals changed? How, how did we get here? And then how can we go forward? And I think it's, it's about education. It's mm-hmm. about this very thing, like you and I speaking on the radio and talking about these things. And, and letting women know that they have choices. Um, and also it's about uh, talking to men uh, because what we know is that when a woman experiences violence, um, uh, her uh, people in her life, including children, women, and other men, are also impacted by that violence. Mm-hmm. And so when we've been able to speak to men about the violence that's perpetrated on their sisters, their mothers, their daughters, and the impact of that, sort of like the, the communal impact of violence against women, and, and the messages that we're giving young women with regards to, you know, if, we, if, if as fathers and brothers um, and uh, sons, if we're giving messages to our daughters to just stay put and don't make any changes, how that's actually, um, you know, not really what men want either. And so I think bringing men on as allies, um, bringing men who, who care about uh, ending violence in the lives of women along with us, making sure that women have choices, they know about resources that are available to them, that as friends and families that we step up and we say to them, look, we see you're going through some struggle. Uh, How can I help? Um, You know, can I do something to connect you with supports? Can I talk to somebody to support you? All of those things, I think that if we all step into that and take part as a society to, to prevent violence, I think that's where we start to move the dial on culture, cultural norms, Mm -hmm. cultural, uh, you know, way of being, stigma. um, And really it's about breaking the code of silence and letting everybody know that it's okay to talk about some of the struggles you're having in your family and that women uh, need support, children need support, and those who are causing the harm also need some services to help them overcome that. And so we need to look at a holistic uh, response to ending violence in the lives of women and children. Yes, I think that's a really good point and to look at this from, you know, various different angles as well, as you mentioned, cultural norms and, and kind of just working to normalize um, the, the fact that this happens and how do we talk about it and how do we um, ensure that women feel supported as they're going through this. And Ninu, lastly, I want to ask you um, for anyone listening right now, if they feel that they need uh, supports or resources, what is available to them? Mm-hmm. Well, um, Victim Link BC uh, is a toll-free, confidential, uh, and it's multilingual uh, service that's available across BC. 
So, you know, if you have a phone and, and a computer and you type in Victim Link BC, the information will come up. Okay. Um, and this is available across BC and Yukon, and it's a 24 hours a day service, seven days a week. And uh, it can be accessed by, by using your phone, calling, or texting. Uh, I can give the number. Uh, it's 1-800-563-0808. Um, you can also send an email to victimlinkbc at bc211.ca. Okay. But again, because when we use our phones, right, it's, it's, it's just also really important to know that you type in Victim Link BC and, and uh, how to access them will come up. Um, and also, in, 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 no matter where you are listening from in um, this uh, radio from across BC, know that within inside your community, that there are support services um, uh, that um, that that you can access their counseling programs, their outreach programs, um, and so again, you can you can find those services within inside your communities as well. And like I said, there are over 300 anti-violence programs across across BC, and um, yeah, and you can certainly look us up as well, Ending Violence Association of British Columbia, and we have resources and things like that on our website as well. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Ninu, for sharing your time with us and providing a lot of insight for our listeners as well. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.